Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Holy words for holy people. Thanks be to God. And if you are the praying kind, I would invite you to please pray with me. God of grace and mercy and power, God of big questions and cracked glass and overflowing waters, of joy and hope and mystery, be with us in this hour, in this moment in our bodies and our spirits. Help us to know you. Help the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be yours, O oh God, be of you and towards you. And if they should not be, if they should lead us away from you, help us to notice and to turn around as you are always inviting us to do a second, a 70th, a thousandth time towards the love that is available to all of us in you. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen. We begin today Lent a season that you may or may not have celebrated growing up, that you may or may not know what it is today as you sit before me. But Lent is a spiritual tradition in the Christian tradition. It is a season of the 40 days plus Sundays. So people sometimes are asked about that. The 40 days plus Sundays that lead us towards Easter. And the day that we will celebrate the greatest promise God ever made, that if there is death, and destruction, it is real, but it is not the end of the story. That resurrection is the reality we live under, that hope is a part of the fabric of being alive. And so if we're counting down to Easter, how do we want to count down? How do we want to get ready to celebrate something that extraordinary, something that miraculous? And some Christians have, have always thought that the opportunity of that season was to do what my colleague Emily calls a spiritual spring cleaning, <laughs> a sort of inventory of the soul, <laughs> a looking inward and a saying, if resurrection is coming and resurrection is real, who am I? What's going on inside of me? And who do I want to be? And so Lent is frequently a time when we talk about spiritual practices and letting things go spiritual practices and letting things go. Spiritual practices are one of my favorite things for us to talk about as a community because I truly believe that they are transformational. And yet for so many of us, they seem either dry or unattainable, <laughs> something that's really, really hard to incorporate into our lives. Uh, something that I find a lot, every single one of us is different, and so some folks you may have grown up where spiritual practices weren't a thing, like nobody talked about it. Um, others, the only allowable spiritual practices were sort of like reading from the Bible, praying for an hour in the morning, and those were the ones, right? That's what was allowed. But the universe of what it means to try and grow closer to who God is and who we want to be is so, so much larger than that. What is essential about spiritual practices, I think, is the word practice in them. <laughs> that they are not 
an act of perfection or an act of immediate change, but an act of rehearsal for who we want to be when things really get down to it, for how we hope things are when things are surprisingly and all of a sudden incredibly hard. One of the spiritual practices that I have been transformed by is one of short meditation. And meditation is like a strong word for what I do. I truly try and sit still for five minutes, <laughs> right? I, I try and sit still and focus for five minutes. And one of the keys to me of that practice has been something that an early spiritual teacher taught me, which is um, you're not trying to force your mind to focus. You're trying to notice whatever your mind is doing. <laughs> notice wherever your soul is going. The Buddhists call our brain's um, tendency to hop around, to be distracted, to go wherever, monkey mind. And I've always thought that was a pretty evocative image for what my mind does when left undirected. It jumps and it hops and it leaps all around. But when I sit still for five minutes and ask myself not to judge what's happening inside of me, not to control what's happening inside of me, but simply to notice what's happening inside of me, I'm starting to think about the things that I don't like about myself. I'm noticing that that's what I'm thinking about. My foot's starting to fall asleep. I'm noticing that my foot is starting to fall asleep. I can't stop thinking about that grocery list I have to do tomorrow and the fact that I have to get to both of these events. I'm noticing that I can't stop thinking about all of these things that I have to do tomorrow. Maybe God really does love me. I'm noticing that for one tiny second out of the day, when I quiet the rest of the world, I can remember that I'm beloved. That spiritual practice changes my days, right? It changes those five minutes, but what it changes more is what happens to me when a crisis does come. <laughs> when I am overwhelmed in the middle of a regular day, not trying to be spiritual, <laughs> but just trying to live, trying to be around, and all of a sudden my body has practice at noticing, right? I am in a conflict that is hard for me, and my body starts to notice how tense I am. I start to notice how stressed I am, and I have a new skill that allows me to think, I notice how tense I am, and that doesn't mean I have to only live in the tension. God still loves me because I've experienced both of these things at the same time before. It's a practice, it's a rehearsal for a whole different way of being, a whole different way of being alive. And the point is not to do it well or to do it perfectly, but to do it practicing and seeing if it changes who we are. The other thing about practice is that it makes space for things we might not otherwise make space for in our lives. There's an Ignatian spiritual practice um, that I love called the examine which is the sort of idea is like, at the end of the day, you sit on a couch with Jesus in your mind and you like go over the whole day and you think, where did I experience closeness with God? Where did I experience joy? Where did I experience hope? And then you also think, where did I experience desolation, sadness, destruction, farness? And you just kind of look over your day. And again, right, it already happened. You can't control it, you can't change it, you're not making a difference in that moment. But where the difference comes is in noticing patterns that come over time. Where the difference comes is in making space 
to say sometimes, this day was bad and hard. And in my family, I have a spouse and a three-year-old and a six-year-old in my house. Um, we do a family-modified version of the examine, which means A, we don't do it every day because we're not capable of doing the same thing every day <laughs> for years and years on end. We do it most days, mostly days. And we do the two questions, what were you most grateful for today and what were you least grateful for today? Because those are things that everybody can answer at all the levels that our house is at. And we do it at dinner or at bedtime. And a lot of days, I wonder why I am doing that spiritual practice with my children. Because a lot of days, the answers will be something like my three-year-old, I say, what were you most grateful for today? And he laughs and says, poop, right? <laughs> or I ask my six-year-old, what were you most grateful for today? And she says, I don't know, recess, right? Like the, some days I wonder, why are we doing this? And then some days I learn things about their spiritual lives that I never otherwise would have known and that they might never otherwise have been allowed to articulate because we made the space for it. A few days ago for the first time, I said, what were you least grateful for today? And one of my kids burst into tears and said, one of my friends who I always play with at recess refused to play with me today and I don't know why. And I'm almost sure, and we had a conversation about it and how to handle disappointment and how painful that can be. And I just don't think it ever would have come up if we weren't rehearsing talking about the hard stuff. If we weren't rehearsing acknowledging that every day has something crappy in it. Every day has something hard. And those are things that are as worthwhile to talk to God about as all of the joyful, thankful, good stuff. So spiritual practices are expansive and they are practice. Not something you do excellently, but just something that you do. And I think they can be anything. Anything you do with attention and intention can become a practice. The way you walk, the way you work, the way you drink your coffee. And this Lent, we are going to be looking at Jesus's spiritual practices. Now you'll see why we read that very strange two-verse scripture that we read this morning. But we wanted to set the tone, right, for, for what we're talking about this season. Jesus had lots of spiritual practices that we never talk about that way because we are too distracted, totally understandably, by all of the like miracles and teachings about the nature of reality that come in the middle. right? We focus on Jesus's healing or on Jesus's really confusing parable about mustard seeds or on the things that are really notable about the stories of Jesus. And we lose that in the interstitials, in the in-betweens, in the verses and sentences that you almost don't read or throw away, there's all of these things Jesus is doing that make him who he is and make his community what it is. And so every single Sunday of Lent, we're going to look at one of those things. A throwaway sentence of Jesus and his friends singing a hymn after communion. A throwaway sentence that indicates that Jesus went away to be alone on mountains and pray when things were hard for him. And we're going to look at the ways that those spiritual practices prepared, rehearsed him for the events of Holy Week and Easter, and the ways that we, by repeating them, might prepare ourselves for everyday life. So which one are we looking at today? You usually have heard this story as a part of the story of um, 
Mary breaking an alabaster box full of oil on Jesus' feet, right? It's an incredible story. It's a beautiful one. There's a whole song about it. We're not talking about it today. <laughs> because I think what's really notable is that Jesus was receiving hospitality, right? When he thought about what do I need to do to prepare for the Passover? What do I need to do to prepare for the events of this week? He went and he had dinner with some of his closest friends and he allowed them to serve him a meal and he shared that meal with them and talked. Not just at the Last Supper, but every day that week, every day that week, right? He was being hosted by friends and sharing and breaking bread and sharing feelings and prayers and whatever it was that they shared at those little bits that have been lost to history, but that we know because we live a human life, like Jesus in his incarnated body, are the stuff that hope is made of. And so I, I want us to think about this meal, that this is what Jesus chose to do a few days before he knew he would die, a few days before he knew he would change the world, a few days before he knew he would be betrayed. Oh, sorry. <laughs> he went to a close friend's house and allowed them to feed him and shared a meal with them. Who are the people that you share meals with? Who are the people that you serve and host? And who are the people that you allow to serve and host you? so that you sometimes are receiving the hospitality and generosity of others and not just offering hospitality and generosity to those around you. Maybe you're someone for whom this is already an incredibly vivid spiritual practice. Maybe dinner parties are like a big part of your social life and how you connect with the world and how you experience joy. Maybe for you, communion is your favorite part of the worship service because it is a meal that is the biggest meal you've ever taken with billions of people across the world where you are made into one loaf with other human beings. Or maybe we've been in the middle of a global pandemic and the last time you shared a meal with someone was in February of 2020. And you wanna start again by hook or by crook, by Zoom or by oak table in your living room. Practice being the person you want to be. Practice being a person who, has at a, who is at a big, wide table. Practice being a person who can receive gifts from others, offer them to others generously, and break bread with whoever is around. Or if that's not what you need to work on this Lent, pick something else. Pick a thing to do or pick a thing to not do, because it turns out that you're actually practicing a life that you don't want. That's the point of all this giving stuff up for Lent, right? It's not good or right for all of us, but some of us are practicing a life that we don't want, actually. Maybe we're practicing social media being the core of our identity, <laughs> and that's rehearsing a life that we don't want to live. Or maybe we are practicing um, status or how others think of us being the whole of how we think of our worth, and we want to practice a different kind of life. So whatever it is that you need to let go of and whatever it is that you need to take on to practice the life that you actually want, welcome to your opportunity. <laughs> These next five weeks can be the time when you try out something new and it gets totally screwed up and you will absolutely forget it 20% of the time. <laughs> and it will still change your life and allow you to live a different kind of faith, a different kind of body and a different kind of community than you lived before because the great news about being alive is that there's always another chance and there's always another opportunity to practice 
being a different kind of human than we are today. So thanks to Jesus for that, and let's go practice some new stuff together. Thanks be to God. Amen. So uh, I will do a brief benediction. Just a reminder, we have an important announcement for folks part of Urban Village. Friends, as we go forth in this place, may you practice what it means to be a follower of God. May you stub your toe. May you fall short. May you not always do it right, knowing that God's grace is enough. That God who is with you this day, that Jesus will guide you always, and that the Holy Spirit will always sustain you this day and always. Amen. Well, hello to all of you, and hello to all of you. Um, as I make this announcement online and at West, we'll be playing a short video with the same announcement at all of our sites so that everyone can learn simultaneously what I'm about to tell you, which is that last year I began to feel um, not myself and forgetful and a little slower than I usually am. And because Urban Village Church is exactly the church that it claims to be and is the best employer I've ever had and is a community of caring people, I did all the things that you do. I went on the vacation that I have and I used my health insurance to meet with the spiritual director and the doctor and the therapist and I did all the things. And I'm in a better place as a human being than I was several months ago. But after a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation with caring people inside of this church and out, I've discerned that I need to stop being a pastor for a little while <laughs> um, for my own health. And so I'm going to be leaving Urban Village. And my last Sunday is going to be June 6th. So I'm around for three more months. And we will have lots of conversations. And there will be lots of opportunities to get coffee and to talk about all of what that means. Um, and I shared this with our board um, a few weeks ago, as well as our other staff, and they've already begun to develop some really exciting next steps for what happens after I go. Um, part of what made me able to go is in some ways, I think there are really exciting things we needed to do as a church that this will make easier. And there's gonna be some, some great things coming your way, and I feel really confident about the next steps. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the United Methodist Church, I'm a United Methodist. If you don't know what those words mean, I can explain them to you after. Um, but it, it means that usually, if I was leaving a church, it would be to go to another church and they would be bringing somebody in to replace exactly me. In this case, that's not exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to be going on a status called sabbatical or absence leave, um, which is a really great thing that they offer for people in a situation like me, where I, I um, love Urban Village but just need a little break. And we are going to propose to them a different way of replacing some of the things that I've been doing than exactly the job that I currently do um, and proposing some things that we think will be really exciting. So the reason we can't share with you what those things are today is that we haven't gotten permission to actually enact them yet. <laughs> and so as the, as the more that we know in the conversations we have with our larger church body, the more that you'll know. And the next couple of weeks, there'll be a lot more information, and then we'll have an Urban Village Town Hall to sort of talk about all of this at greater length. And when that gets scheduled, you'll know about it. That's really what there is to say, except that um, this church is one of the most important communities in my life, but also, I think, in the world. I think what the Holy Spirit is doing through this community is extraordinary. Both the lay leadership and the pastoral leadership of this community have cared for me in such an incredible way these last few years that 
it's what helps me know that we'll continue to do those same things for each other. And so thank you for your time. I know some of you don't know me at all. So this may be a strange announcement for you to hear. But for those who, who do know me, um, know that we'll have more time together, that this is the best, and that I thank you for being here for this. So God's blessings to you and to you and to this church. Thanks, everybody. I just I feel led to pray for Hannah too. Uh, so if you feel comfortable kind of raising a hand as a way of showing support for her. God, we give you thanks for Hannah, for her family, for who she is, for her unique gifts. And we pray and know that you will sustain her in the coming months ahead as she discerns where you are guiding her as a child of God. But most of all today, we feel gratitude for the many lives that she has impacted, for the many ways that she has blazed new trails for us. I'm grateful to have worked with her, and I know many, both here and online, are grateful for her too. And so we pray that you would be with us uh, in these coming days, uh, that we might come together. And also pray that you would continue to be with us as a community of faith, so that we would know where you want us to go, who might come on board, what ministries are you calling us to. And so we pray that you would continue to guide and bless us as we do just that as well. In all of these things, O oh God, we remain grateful for Hannah, and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.